Welcome to the Scales and Tails podcast, where we unveil the secrets to weight loss. I'm your host, Brianna Fia Keen, accredited practicing dietitian, mum of four, and foodie fanatic who is constantly hungry because I talk about food all day long. Wouldn't that make you hungry too? Join me as I delve into the essential pillars that shape your weight loss journey, including mindset and motivation, nutrition and healthy eating, exercise and fitness, effective weight loss strategies, behavior change and habits, sleep and stress, and nurturing a positive body image through self-care. Are you ready to embark on a transformative journey with me and my guests? I'm here to help you. Let's do this. Hello, hello. We are joined today by a colleague of mine, Timmy Chu, who is a Sydney-based weight loss dietitian with me. So welcome, Timmy. Hey, Brianna. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. So would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners and letting them know a little bit about you? So uh, I've uh, I've been a dietitian for about fifteen years now. So I've been been around the traps for a while. Um, I I didn't I I don't think I always wanted to be a dietitian. I think the way it came about is um, when I was in high school, I, I I did love food, and I actually wanted to be a chef. And so I did food tech in in high school and loved that and got to um, my final year of high school HSC and um, I was still interested in becoming a chef and I actually had a chance meeting with um, one of the head chefs in a really famous restaurant in Sydney. Um, It was set up just we had yum cha together and we had a good chat and they were they were sort of saying you know you could yeah go for it you know be head chef but the hours are bad the pay is not that good you probably won't see your friends and family that much and I sort of thought Okay, maybe maybe I won't become a chef. Talking so, it up a bit for you. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, they were being real, and uh, that was that was good because I think back then I I sort of thought, oh, I think a chef would be fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, pursued nutrition instead, and um, since then loved it. I really enjoy being a dietitian, and really enjoy looking after my my, my clients as well. And now you get to talk about food all day long. Exactly, exactly, and I think that makes a difference. Um, I think, you know, talking about something I'm really passionate about, um, it just makes work easy. And so what does your week look like now in terms of the role that you have with your work? So I, I work, um, I work for myself and I, I, I work with a few clinics in the area of, uh, weight management, um, and obesity. So I work with a few bariatric um, surgeons doing weight loss procedures. Um, I work um, with with Healthy Weight Australia, and we offer um, sort of different weight loss solutions from um, surgeries to medical management to um, gastric balloons. Um, and then I've also got a part of my work which is um, seeing sort of uh, more general patients, um, whether it's just for um, healthy eating, managing things like diabetes or, or, or gastro health related issues as well. So it's quite a varied case though, but I think a lot of it is um, around um, obesity and weight management. And, and nowadays with um, changes in technology, we're able to do a lot of telehealth, um, which is great. So I look after patients, not only in Sydney, but also around Australia, which is, which is pretty nifty as well. 
It is. COVID certainly changed that landscape for us all, didn't it? It did, yes. So a jack of all trades, what do you love about the roles that you have? Oh, I I think an area in nutrition that I'm I'm really passionate about is is weight management and um weight management, diabetes, metabolic health. I think that space is is really interesting to me. I think when I first moved into the space of bariatric surgery, um initially it was it was very different. Like when you when you work in that space, coming from a sort of um, generalized um, weight management clinic, like non-surgery, it, it's it's very different, and you've really got to adjust um, the mindset looking after patients. So, for for example, the re- the example I give is a lot of patients that I would initially see when I first moved into that space was like. You know, do you do you really need to be having surgery? Like, you know, can't 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 you just change your diet and and the way you eat? But but over time, you know, meeting these patients and and listening to their experiences and seeing what they've been through, you sort of realise that they've how gone how, how how powerful it can be. That's right, and sometimes they need that bit of extra help, and and to sort of see them have that tool in place and really enables them to flourish. You know, it really helps with changing the physiology and the way they think about food and um, if that gives them a chance to to manage their weight which they've been battling for so many years and it gives them an, op- an opportunity to manage that for the long long game who am i to say it's not for them right? yeah so and i think yeah. knowing the statistics that it takes people on average two years to make the decision after doing all of their research that i'm really pro having those conversations early on with people who are potentially really good candidates for surgery, knowing that, you know, you're planting the seed for something that might happen years down the track. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because for patients, they they don't know what they don't know, right? And, you know, when when they've maybe been talking to their GP about their weight, GPs, some are more skilled than others in terms of managing, um, you know, obesity and weight, but... Um, you know, to be able to have conversations around, it's not just about eat less, move more. You know, we know that um, having other uh, tools, whether it's surgery, whether it's um, patients benefiting from such a, something like a, a very low calorie diet or certain medications, you know, sometimes we need that little bit of a, a different strategy to make it work for them. And I think yeah. giving patients options that are available so that way they can they can sort of see what is working for them. Exactly. I just don't think there's enough of those conversations around. That's right. And and I think that's a big role that we've got to play as a dietitian is to really educate, right? Um, you know, talking to patients about um, that end goal of wanting to lose weight, be healthy, get to where you want to be. There's lots of different paths that you can take to get there. And oh. I think I think there's no one size fits all. And that's why that's why you've got people that will say, oh, I did this diet and it did really well for me. You should do it too. And you've got on the other side of the spectrum, and this diet worked really well for me. You should do that too. And it's because different diets work well for different people. I think you've got to sort of find the solution that works for you. And sometimes it's getting the best of both worlds and making that work for you as well. Um, sort of that um, hybrid of a few different dietary approaches can be can be effective too. Yeah, and I guess that's the benefit of seeing a dietitian individually in that we can tailor a nutrition plan 
based on everything we know about that patient rather than based on something someone else has done, like a friend of theirs or a family member of theirs. Um, you know, we have lots of tools in our tool belt and I'll often write them all down on a piece of paper and briefly introduce them to people that I'm working with and, and say, you know, we can start up here, we can start down here, we can start in the middle. I'm happy to meet you wherever you want, but these are some of the options. And if this option doesn't work, you know, look at all the other options we do have. It's not just let's try this and then, you know, if it doesn't work, we've got nothing else left. Like there are always options and, and there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah, I think it's so true. And, you know, I, I meet patients where, and you've really got to plant that seed early when you, especially when you first meet them, because, you know, you, you want you want to make sure that someone that you're looking after is going to know that you're there to support them rather than really saying, saying you, you've got to do this to achieve the results that you want. Because sometimes that may not work out for them. And if they feel as though they failed, they're not going to come back. They're going to feel guilty. You know, they've gone through all that. And so I think a big part of our role as a dietitian um, or a good dietitian is to really offer offer that that support because um, you could have a few months where maybe the scales aren't moving, but that doesn't mean things aren't going well. You know, I think you've really got to measure success in terms of different different outcomes. Weight is one piece of the puzzle, but, you know, I think um, having better energy levels, making better choices with food, you know, fitting in scheduled exercise and feeling great. I think that's priceless. I think, and it's I think... interesting because I remember starting with a client and it was post-COVID. She's like, I stopped going to the gym in COVID. All I wanted um, was to lose weight. I'm back at the gym. I've been back at the gym for a year. I'm still not losing weight, but I've still got all this weight that I'm carrying from COVID. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I just need to lose weight. And so she was very focused on that weight loss. And so we started working together. Uh, and I remember at her very first appointment a month after her first review, she's like, do you know what? I haven't actually weighed myself, but I know that I've lost weight because I'm feeling so much better. And the way that I am feeling totally outweighs whatever the number on the scale is going to be. Yeah. I think that's great. And do you find, Brenna, that like for some patients, you know, they just do better weighing themselves less often? Oh, I'm always telling my clients, put the scales in the linen cupboard under the beach towels where you can't see them because yeah. I don't want them to be a temptation for you. You don't need them. You can monitor your own success using your own metrics. And then we'll, you know, often talk about what are some of the other metrics that you can look at? That's right. I think, you know, sometimes we can be very, um, very occupied or very focused on the number on the scales, right? We want to sort of see num number go down, you know, and it's tempting um, to, to really hone in on that. Um, but but I think, you know, for, for certain individuals that can sometimes, you know, really mess, mess with their head, right, and really lead to a lot of self-sabotage. Um, and so I think um, having that conversation with patients about, you know, yeah, you know, we, we want to ideally see your weight come off in, over the long term. But, you know, the more we look at it, you know, on a on a day to day or week to week basis, um, it's not always going to be that that helpful for you. No. And it's interesting because I've got a patient with a balloon in and I see her monthly and she's a, you know, childbearing age a female who still has a monthly cycle. And it happens to be that I see her 
a couple of days after her hormones are peaking, etc. And so I will look at her tracker and I can see these rises every month at the same time. And so she just looks at it from this is what's happened this week. And I go, but looking back at the last four months, this has happened every month at the same time. And next week it's going to do this. Like we can predict this based on this data. Um, So when we're looking at data, we need to look at it long term, not just a day at a time. I think it's so true. I think individuals that are looking after their weight, they do tend to have that bit of recency bias, right? They sort of think about what's happened in this last week or two weeks, whereas when we saw them six weeks ago, you're actually doing really well, you know? And yeah. I think, yeah, this last week is, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a blip in the radar, but it's kind of the noise that happens over time. And if we if we look at it, um, you know, over, over three months or six months or 12 months, I think you'd be pretty happy with how things go as long as we keep trending like this. Exactly. And that's the key word. And I always tell my clients, we're looking at trends here. You know, the that's trend right. is that we're actually scaling down. It's never going to be in this nice little straight line, but it's going to be up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. But those downs keep coming lower and lower and lower. That's right. I mean, it's interesting. Like when you, sometimes I'll talk to patients where, if you flip the scenario around, right, like when an individual has been gaining weight, right, it, it, it's, weight gain doesn't tend to, well, not often, it doesn't happen all within three months. It's like a slow progression over six months, 12 months, two years. And if you were to watch the weight going up, you don't see it go up in a straight line either. It goes up and it stays the same and it goes up. So the flip side's true as well. You know, when the weight comes off the other direction, it kind of comes off in a similar fashion. It's exactly. sort of trends, but it's, never a linear fashion so you kind of got to roll with that too so it's an interesting perspective for people to think about yeah and you know when we're looking at some of those little plateaus where it might even out for a couple of weeks one of the big conversations I've had this month with so many of my patients is that oh my weight's just been the same for the last month and while they're a bit discouraged about that what I'm asking them is, but what did your weight do last Christmas and the Christmas before and the Christmas before? And the standard response I've got is, oh, I'd usually put on two or three kilos over that period. So the fact that you've stayed the same for the last month is already telling me that you've been more conscious, your decision-making has changed, and that you've reversed what would usually happen in previous years. So you actually have achieved so much more than what you're giving yourself credit for. Right. I think it's all all about context, isn't it? And um, just highlighting that to patients is great because it can really help build that more positive mindset to sort of know that, um, hey, sometimes just not putting on weight over the festive season or when you've been away on holidays is great. You know, or yeah. if you put on a little bit, hey, big whoop, you know, you're on holidays, you've got to enjoy life, right? And you know, where most of the change happens is when you're back in your normal routine. You know, it's not it's not Christmas all the time. Um, so, you know, I think we sort of can allow ourselves to enjoy those moments and, and not stress too much. And I guess being a dietitian for 15 or so years, you know, much like me, I've seen the waves of no one wants to see a dietitian at Christmas time. You know, our, our lists tend to get a little bit lighter. Um, you know, I'll be completely transparent with that. And I think there's some misconceptions, you know, dietitians, I only want to report good things back to the dietitian. In actual fact, that's probably the time where you're 
least on track and, you know, creating those healthy habits. And that's when you need the support the most. I think there's a few misconceptions around about seeing a dietitian. Um, so I'd like to talk about what your experience has been with that. You know, we're not always the food police. Yeah, I, you know, you, you probably get that a lot as well, like I do. You know, sometimes it's nice sometimes meeting a patient and, and meeting them for the first time and sitting down and having a good chat. And at the end, they're like, that wasn't so bad. I'm, I'm really glad I came in, Tim. I was worried about how this conversation was going to go. And, um, you know, I like having that sort of little conversation at the end. That tells me that I've sort of done right by the patient because, you know, for yeah. them to come in feeling anxious about seeing a dietitian because sometimes patients will come in because they've been referred by their doctor or or their partner has said you should go see your dietitian so they're they're not always there coming uh, because they they want to sometimes they need that gentle push in the right direction um and i guess a big misconception that people have about seeing a dietitian is that you're going to be put on a diet right and i think if you see a a a, a dietitian that's um that's going to be looking after you it's it's going to be far from the truth i think like you said we have different ways to be um where we're skilled in different ways to be improving people's health and, and and if weight is something that we're looking at um it's really about tailoring advice to to suit that that person i, and think, I think the media's done a lot in terms of what connotations are around the word diet and I know that's a conversation that I've had with my children where they're like are we on a diet mum or, or something like that or is so, such and such on a diet and I'm like what do you mean a diet's just the food that you eat like are we eating food yeah we are everyone yeah. is <laughs> yeah no, just... that, that's that's true it's just that yeah that medium is you know just how they they use that word, right? And then that's just how people have that word embedded. And there's that negative connotation around that. Whereas, yeah, diet's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think it's just a way of eating. And, and we all I, I need to eat. So essentially we, everyone we is on a diet of some description. We, we do. And and even, like, I talk to my patients about the way you eat through different life stages, different, you know, the way you're eating in teens and 20s is very different to your 30s and 40s and that's going to change when you're 50 and 60 as well I think it just depends what what your nutrition needs are there and I think it's being adaptable to that you know depending on what your body's needs are and and that's where I guess seeing a dietitian is important because you know you may have certain health issues that a dietitian can help with whether it's sort of managing cholesterol issues or a fatty liver um, in addition to things like your weight a, a dietitian can be very skilled to, to help you with with food planning and meal planning to, to make it work within your lifestyle. Um, mm. So I think, you know, when you do meet with the dietitian, I think give them a chance to help you uh, because, you know, often I actually think dietitians, uh, we're a pretty caring bunch. Like I think we're, you know, when we look after our patients, we've got that type of personality that um, is really got that patient's best interest at heart. You always ask a dietitian, what do you like about being a doctor, I love to help people. That's what a lot of people yeah, say. And I exactly. think that's just that just comes with it as well. Yeah. And so we've talked about some of those connotations and the role that certain terminology and language can have. How do you think that our listeners could be 
more in tune with understanding good, reliable, evidence-based advice versus comparing that to those fad diets and myths that are out there. I think especially with with social media these days, it's a real wild, wild west. Um, and so it can be easy to get confused out there, you know, jumping on YouTube or, or Twitter or certain Facebook groups. Um, you're going to be exposed to lots of different ideas out there. I think to really, you know, look at um, reliable nutrition advice, you know, I, I do sort of encourage or I would encourage your listeners to rely on, on more reputable sources. I think you want to be looking at, um, you know, scientific evidence to support certain claims. Um, I think be cautious of um, people making sort of anecdotal stories to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, this this person has done this, so it's going to help you with, um, you know, this aspect of of, of your health. I think anecdotal stories are, are you got to be very careful that that that's not going to be um, you know, uh, reliable advice. I think um, really looking at credentials of say an author or a source that you're looking at. Um, I think prioritizing evidence, say, for example, from an accredited or registered dietitian, I think is important too. Um, you know, we're bound by a code of conduct uh, from our governing body to um, uh, to provide evidence-based um, approaches. Uh, when we look at nutritionists out there, nutritionists are, you know, people that have studied nutrition. Um, and so all dietitians are nutritionists, but all, not all nutritionists are dietitians. So I think um, it is important to be mindful with with where that evidence is coming from it and and, yeah. and there's some great you know bachelor level university qualified nutritionists out there, but there yeah. are on the flip side a lot of other providers that are giving people qualifications that don't necessarily have as much of a robust curriculum. Yeah, that's right, and I think. One thing that's that does stand out is if you look out for things that are quick fixes or extremes. I think if it looks too good to be true, I think just be just be wary. Probably think, is. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the thing with good nutrition and good advice. You know, it, it may not seem that that sexy and and that um, sort of wonderful, but I think it works, and that's that's reliable. And um, I think for an individual. You've really got to think at it, the long-term effects of being able to maintain a, a change that you make. Exactly. Because, you know, I guess when people come to us, they're at the end of the road and they've tried a heap of things. And the, the most common thing that I hear is that, yes, I tried X, Y, Z. It worked for a little while. When I stopped, I put everything on that I lost and a little bit more. And so each mm -hmm. different time you try a fad diet – it isn't necessarily helping you long term. Oh, no, that's that's right, and I think I think the metabolic sort of the metabolic changes that the body can go through with with repeated dieting really really make it difficult in the longer term. You know, so you know as you've probably seen yourself with uh, with clients that you see, Rihanna, when when they die, they they lose a little bit of muscle and. When they put weight back on, they put it back on as body fat, but not as muscle, and it just keeps on happening until their metabolic rate sort of slows over time. And our metabolic rate slows with age as well, so we're fighting that. And I think really talking to patients about these, the underlying 
areas that we can really look at. And so we've got to forge a path moving forward where we can really correct some of these um, maybe damage, damage sort of things that we've done to the body and, and, and build you back up. Yeah, exactly. So a big part of our role is obviously helping our patients to understand the right eating plan for them. I think that half the time the missing piece of the puzzle is the mindfulness that comes with food. Like people are very fixated on food and what's on my plate, but not necessarily in terms of why they eat or how they eat. Um, and all of these pieces of the puzzle is what gives you that overall balance. That's right. I think I think um, the psychology of eating, I, I feel, is so important. And it's something that I've really brought, brought into my practice um, over the years. It's something that um, I feel is very powerful for individuals, especially nowadays when um, reasons why we eat are not just because of being hungry. You know, we yes, we eat because we're physiological, physiologically hungry. It's that grumble in the stomach, that emptiness. But we also do a lot of non-hunger eating, right? And and whether that's eating out of boredom, emotionally eating, eating out of habit, or just because it's there, or maybe we're brought up to finish everything on the plate. So we tend to celebrations is a big so, one. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was talking to someone earlier today. She's got five kids and grandkids and this big Italian family, and we're talking about how. Food is so much a part of their family and their connection and that social part. So it's not always negative. Like it can be quite a positive but still not coming from a place of hunger either. 100%. And I think in those moments, uh, I think um, really embracing that still. You know, it's not about, hey, not going to those events and not, not having them. It's about being able to enjoy them in a way that's pleasurable and um, spending time with family, but I, I guess in a way that's that's not going to make you feel guilty afterward, right? So she like put it really nicely in that she said, I'm still kind to myself when I do this. <laughs> I love that. I think I something I love talking to patients about is, hey, you know, be kind to yourself, look after yourself because, you know, and you probably see it as well. Um, you know, when patients are trying to manage their weight, they, they really get disheartened on themselves and feel guilty and just sort of perpetuate these negative self-thoughts. And I think I think life can be stressful and, and if we can make this part of the equation a little bit less stressful and, and find positive ways to, to, to look after food and nutrition, then you know, that's a big weight off their shoulders. I, I really love that yeah. <laughs> from your patient. Yeah, so she was talking about she had some homemade cookies and that, you know, I'm kind to myself when I choose to have one. And I love that you're doing it in a thoughtful way. You're choosing when you feel yeah. like it. Um, it's a part of that healthy eating plan that you've got throughout the rest of the day. And when you are having it, you enjoy it. You're giving yeah. yourself the satisfaction that food is designed to give you. And then we get on with the rest of the day. Yeah. I think, yeah, re really good point. I mean, you know, it's like we all get cravings, don't we? And, you know, you, I always talk to clients about cravings are normal. You know, that's what we go through. And when you really, truly crave something like, you know, your patient who baked those cookies, when you really feel like one of those, I think when you eat one, that's when it tastes the best because you really felt like it. Whereas if you're 
eating them because you're really stressed or, or bored, you'll you'll eat it, but maybe you're not actually loving it. You're just doing it for another reason. And, and I'm think, a big believer that if you pull the reins in too tight, the wheels will fall off. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think it's all about finding that balance where you know, can I can I do this strategy for the rest of my life? Because if not, maybe you've got to you've got to loosen it up a bit, right? Yeah, it's it's a a lifelong skill to be able to, you know, get your meal plan for you right. And it's That's always right. going to evolve. But what we need That's to look right. at is right here, right now, what's the best thing for me at the moment? Yeah. Because we yeah, can always right. change the targets. We can always change the goals. We can always change the strategy but right here right now what is it that's going to be best for me right now yeah i think that's a really good way to put it sometimes sometimes people do lose sight in the moment right now and think too much ahead or what has been in the past and i think being a little bit more present being able to work on things now and get some success there and really you know, build on small changes, small sustainable adjustments that you can you can build up. And it's really around that positive habit stacking. You know, do a few good things well, build some momentum, you know, a couple more good things well. And those helpful behaviors tend to drive more helpful behaviors as well that way. Yeah, exactly. Like getting started is the hardest part. I was yeah. having a conversation with someone the other day and she was saying that it's hard like things are hard for me at the moment I'm tired I'm fatigued I'm dragging my feet and yes we're going to just check things medically for her and she's like one of the biggest goals I want for this year is to get back into my exercise but I'm tired for the moment I wake up and so we talked about she has this all or nothing Mm. mentality so it's like if I can't do it every day this week I'm not going to do it like if I haven't done it Monday Tuesday I'm not even going to try to do it Wednesday Thursday Friday I'm just going to try and start next week and so we broke that down a little bit more and I said what about if we just set the goal that you did one walk a week like do you think you could do that she's like oh that would be easy okay what day is going to work for you? And so we broke it down and set those really smart goals and she had the confidence that she could do that. And so once we start the habit, that's the hardest part, we can then build on each of those habits once we've started it. And before we know it, one thing's rolled into another into another uh, and another and we're a couple of months down the track and, you know, we're where that initial goal was but we just need to break them down that little bit more. Yeah, and I think I think it's a it's a really great point. A lot of a lot of that, you know, all or nothing mentality can sort of uh, for an individual who's looking to do exercise, they sort of feel they, they need to be doing, you know, four or five days a week. But in effect, if lots of stress is going on and you can manage one, that's a win. That's success, right? And you know, I think that can build, like you said, a bit of confidence. Confidence is priceless. Once that mindset is in a positive state, I think I think that can really start to build momentum and, and really help manage uh, those those sort of stressful feelings around I'm not doing enough you know, because I'm doing something and that's enough for me right now. I can really build on that as time goes on. Exactly. Do you have any other tips for anyone who perhaps wants to foster that healthier relationship with food? I think um, 
One thing that I look out for a lot amongst patients, you know, with creating a better relationship with food and building some mindfulness into the equation is really look at the environment around you at home and what meal times are like. So meal times often a question I ask is when you eat, do you do you have distractions there? You know, are you are you watching TV during dinner? Are you on your phone whilst you're having a meal? Um in because the car, doing school pickup, drop off, <laughs> running around, you know, it's exactly. on the fly. Life life is busy, isn't it, Brianna? As 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 we both know. <laughs> um, but you know, and that's the same for a lot of the, the clients we look after too. You know, life is busy and like when you've only got this limited finite amount of emotional energy and a lot of it gets given away to work and then partner and then kids and then um, looking after elderly parents and then there's nothing left for you kind of running on empty so you don't you know have that emotional energy to look after you whereas uh, and that's why you know sometimes it leads to us making poor dietary habits or, or or not really taking time to look after ourselves and I think one effective strategy that uh, I find helps is um, making it a non-negotiable to put distractions away at meal times because then it really enables you to focus on your hunger and satiety levels. Being able to eat slowly, take your time, get to the stage where you're feeling this seven out of ten, comfortable, content. I could probably eat a bit more, but I don't have to, and that's a good place to sit. You know, I think that can really enable you to get your portion sizes right without sort of eating quickly, distracted, and eating to your sort of nine or ten out of ten, and then you've, mm. you've already eaten too much. So I, think I find awareness, in yeah. the hectic pace that we live in, you know, eating is just a chore for some people, and it's like I just yeah. need to get this down so I can get on to the next thing. And, you know, I tend to say, you know, for the people that hoover things down in two seconds flat, they're the ones that are making school lunches, doing the dishes, bringing the washing, and they're like, oh, man, I'm so full, I shouldn't have eaten that much. Because those hunger cues, those fullness cues have just kicked in. But because they ate so quickly, they didn't give their body a chance to send those signals to their brain to let them know that, hey, you're okay. So often they eat beyond, beyond yep. those fullness cues. That's right. And and just explaining that in those sort of terms to, to patients is great because they don't often think about it. Do they? Like, because they, they just live their busy life. And, like, you know, I often tell an individual that, you know, where you are at the moment, it's kind of a build up and byproduct of things that you've been doing most of the time over a long period of time. And if we can sort of maybe undo a few of the, the, the bad habits that you've built and add in a couple of good habits that, that would work, well, if we look ahead to the next three months, you know, ideally you're going to see some positives come from that. And, and you've really got to um, sort of look at the way you're eating day to day to, to, really remember that food is is really about nourishing your body as well like i think we tend to lose sight with that because we're just leading these very busy lifestyles right change just doesn't happen overnight it is a process and i think you know that's one of the recurring themes that you've talked about today and um, for anyone who is listening if that's the one thing that you take away from today's episode um, that's a great thing, you know, bit by bit, day by day, small bits of change can create really big, nice habits that help you to get to your goals in the long term. You know, you didn't go on overnight, it's not going to come off overnight, like growing yeah. a baby. You know, that's, you, didn't, that's right. you didn't put 
baby pregnancy weight on overnight took your body nine months to grow that baby it's not going to come off just because you've delivered a baby you're home from hospital three days later you're a really good point i think um that that sort of really highlights yeah the the change that happens over time doesn't it um i, I think also it's important to note when when i talk to a patient for example i've got this lady that i look after who's um, probably been seeing it for about sort of eight to nine months and um, she's trying to um, improve her, her, her eating habits and trying to lose weight at the same time and um, you know overall she's done really well like she she'd managed to, to make some great changes to her nutrition she's been going to the gym regularly seeing some really good weight loss over time and, and I think in the last probably three months she's been a bit more disheartened because she hasn't really lost as much weight as what it was at the beginning and I can sort of see where the frustrations come from because, you know, she had such a strong response early. And um, I often sort of say, you know, the, the last three months, um, the, that's just how your body's responding right now. Like it's, it's your, your routines haven't been um, as, as sort of consistent as they were early on because motivation was really high back then. But we can't imagine that you're going to sustain that high level of motivation forever. I think you've got to really appreciate where you've come from. Like in the last month, last few months you've lost a few kilos but overall you're down 12 and and i think that's really important to appreciate that rather than being too disheartened that um that things aren't working because i think when we look ahead if we can maintain a lot of the positives that you've done well i think you're going to do great over time and, and i think it's really important to sort of put things into perspective too and i think finishing off on a success story like that is a lovely place to just reinforce to everyone that change takes time your health goals will always be and should always be a priority for you the goalposts might change you know month after month year after year for each decade of life stage that you're at but they should always be paramount and still be something that you're working towards and on definitely and and you know always remember be kind to yourself exactly thank you for those parting words um, and I really enjoyed our chat today. So thanks for coming along. That's okay. That's all I have for you today. Another episode done and dusted here at Scales and Tails, unveiling the secret of weight loss podcast. I hope you found valuable insights and practical tips to support your weight loss journey. Remember, sustainable change takes time. So be patient and kind to yourself. I'd love for you to head to my website at yourfamiliesnutritionist.com.au. I so appreciate you being here, so thank you. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please reach out to me. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, then I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review so that others can find the podcast and have the opportunity to achieve something they've thought was impossible up until now. Between now and then, when I'm next in your ears, I hope you find the joy in the food you eat and get to share it with those you love, including yourself.